0: Hey, welcome to Westside Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. Here at Westside, we're all about equipping believers to succeed in life and mature in Christ as they reach, win, and disciple others. In just a moment, you're going to hear an encouraging message, but before we get into it, if we can serve you in any way by helping you grow in your walk with God, we want to connect with you at wcspokane.com slash connect. Fill that out and someone from our team will reach out to you. Now let's get ready to study the Word together.
1: That's just fun time. Uh, ministers don't get that very often. And uh, people say, you travel all over the United States. Have you actually seen it? Well, we see, we see airports, we see hotels, and we see the inside of churches. And so uh, for us, we try to bring our golf clubs with us so that we can get out and, and play. You p- would play golf? Well... Uh, have you spent uh, 10 or 12 hours during the day in a hotel room before? (laughs) (laughs) So you would understand why it would be awesome to be in a different place and get out and just be in the fresh air, you know? And so we we really look forward to some of those kind of times, and and so we're going to have some of that even this weekend. But we certainly look forward to the ministry of what God's called us to do, and Right now, this is a part of the call, and we're going a lot. It's just been a really crazy time. We had two days home uh, last week from eight day or nine days out before we came here. And uh, when we get home on Monday, we'll have uh, one day home before we head out again. And uh, that's that's uh, a hard turnaround right there. And we've now moved to uh, the colorado area so it's called castle rock as the town if any of you ever been there and it's really pretty we just really would love to be able to be there to enjoy it (laughs) so the Lord sent us from Tulsa where we'd been there for 33 years to castle rock to start what is a healing center and the name of it is called healing by design and uh, I know it's already stirring up some religious devils there (laughs) because uh, the majority of our comments for our advertisements are not positive, you know. And uh, I am a scammer. I'm taking everybody's money, and, you know, and I tell them we, we don't even take up offerings, you know. And and uh, one guy said, well, if it's true, I'll, re- I'll I'll tell everybody I was wrong. But if it's not, he's a fraud. So I, I wrote to him and I said, well, why don't you come to the meeting so that you can find out? <laughs> but he didn't. So... Uh, <laughs> Anyhow, you know, it's very interesting uh, starting something like that in an area that maybe is a little bit more evangelical, which is kind of how I grew up, where healing is something that you believe God does sovereign, sovereignly, and so you would say, if the, if the Lord wills, uh, we believe this, and the sad thing about that is it's, it's, it's a real catch-22 when you think that way, because if for some reason you aren't instantaneously healed, then you come to the conclusion it's not God's will. But then the the worst part of that is all the people that don't get instantly healed, that believe it's not God's will, go to a doctor to get out of God's will. Do you know what I mean? In other words, if God's making me sick and sickness is a form of death, wouldn't it give him great glory if I just died? So why would I go to a doctor if God is actually willing me to be sick? Because the doctor's going to try to help me to get out of God's will. See, when religion tries to explain things that are very simple in Christ, it does a really bad job. Like the theologians that discovered that there was an area of the Red Sea that was only two feet deep, and that's where the children of Israel crossed, and it wasn't really the miracle that we make it out to be. The only problem with that, that's a greater miracle because a whole Egyptian army drowned in two feet of water. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? It'd be better to leave it alone and let it be a God thing than to try to touch it with your mind. So what we're sharing here, even in the next couple of days, just grab a hold of this in your heart. Don't try to figure things out. No, no, it needs to be according to the Word of God. We're not going to give you, you know, some song and dance that's coming out of the Reader's Digest or something. I mean, it's coming from the Word of God, but don't try to figure it out. Receive things in your heart like as though this is the only chance you're going to have to hear something that's going to change your life. How would you listen to it? See, years ago, you know, there, were, there weren't there were Bibles. Do you, any of you remember back far enough, and I go back far enough to remember this with my grandparents, to walk into the foyer area of their entry, of their home, and there was, there was a, a little table there, and they had one of those huge Bibles opened. Remember those? Well, <laughs> A funny story. We were in the Ramus Singers and Band, Aaron and I, and uh, getting ready to do a meeting that was going to be an outside meeting there at the campus in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, where before they had actually erected the brand new huge building that they have. Of course, this is this is years ago, you know. But we were sitting there doing a sound check outside, and I'm just sitting on the chair, and here comes this guy, and he's got this big Bible, one of those Bibles in his head, Like you don't carry those;
2: <laughs>
1: they they weigh a lot. A, they they're heavy, you know. So not a pocket version, right? And he walks up to me, and I said, "Hey, what's happening?" And he takes his Bible, and he goes, "Ba boom!" and he hits me over the head. Well, it hurts. Like what in the world? And I looked at him, and I and and I said, "What did you do that for?" He said, "I have an anointing on my life to hit people over the head in the Bible." And I said, I'm having an anointing right now to put my fist right through. And, 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 and of course, I was younger then, so I would never do that now, you know. But, but they, had to, they had to escort him off the campus. He was really a weirdo, you know. But think about back in that day, you didn't carry the Bible around in your pocket, you didn't have 30 or 40 versions of the Bible on a phone. We'll go back all the way to the days of Christ and then afterwards. Paul's letters would come to the church, and they'd actually have one opportunity to possibly hear that one letter, maybe even a portion of it. So how would you hear if you, if you had to really hear so that it would change your life? Do that today, all right? We're going to talk uh, this morning, and of course, this is my wife, Erin. Just stand for a second so they can see you. Bye. Amen. And uh, we, we have three children, three girls. We knew we were going to have a boy, and we got three girls, and then we bought a couple of boys. They were little dogs, white and fluffy, but they look like girls, you know? (laughs) One of those gender-confusing things that people are struggling with today, right? Right? But anyhow, uh, our girls are now, we're actually uh, empty nesters, which is awesome because you go through cycles. You know, you're an empty nester, and then they come home. They come back. (laughs) And then you're no longer like you were really liking it, and now they're back. But no, now they're they're gone. Our youngest just got married uh, last month. Our middle daughter, she's the one that's been married for three years. She's got two, uh, and then one on the way. So they're just knocking them right out. Praise the Lord. Uh, So we're grandparents, and then our oldest one is in uh, California, and she's a, a real talented artist there. So. Uh, We've got some wonderful children, and uh, we live in the Castle Rock area, and Erin and I get to travel around. And this morning, she just wanted you to think that we wear matching outfits, so she copied me.
2: That's very nice. (laughs) (laughs) We actually
1: happened to bring the same thing, and then we realized, (laughs) oh, well, whatever, you know, so so (laughs) it's like it's all good. But uh, it's really awesome for me. I'm super excited always going out now to have Erin with me. I traveled... At least, at least uh, pro- 20, 20 years without her, and, um, and so it's really nice to have someone with you, amen, especially her. So let's look in the scriptures, if you don't mind. Let's go first. Uh, I'll have you to go to Romans 8, but I'm just going to start here for a second in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, which talks about, it says, pray just every once in a while. Pray when you feel like it. Pray monthly. Pray daily. Paul said pray without ceasing. So obviously we know that means nonstop. Now Smith Wigglesworth used to say it this way, an old one of the old guard, you know, that got all kinds of people healed back in, you know, the last century. And uh, he used to say, I don't pray more than 10 minutes, but I don't go 10 minutes without praying. I like that. Right. It gives you a sense of his constant connection to God. And hold on to those thoughts because we're going to hear a lot about that, staying connected or being disconnected. Like if the lights went out or if they flickered, we'd have to do a diagnostic, so to speak. We'd have to think, okay, what's the first thing? Where do we need to look first? And then you might look for wires. You might look for a fuse box, depending on what happened, just to be able to come to the, what? What? to the solution of where do we need to reconnect so that the lights can come back on? Well, if we had a light meter for our relationship with God, what we call Christianity, would it be flickering? Would it be bright and brilliant? Or would it possibly not even be on at all? And this has everything to do with our focus, where we put our attention, what we deem if you will, important or valuable in our life. And what we say we deem important and valuable, now this is going to be harsh here, so you know, don't get up and run out of the church yet. We say a lot of nice things too, okay? <laughs> but what we say is valuable, important, if you look at the time you have within a given day and where your attention is, it doesn't always become the thing that is the most valuable and important. In other words, we would say, I love God with all my heart, but we give him about an hour a week. Like if you said, I love my wife with all my heart, but you see her for 10 minutes a day. Yeah, but it's my work. Well, yeah, but it's your relationship. And what's more important, your work or your relationship? So find another job where you can spend a lot of time with her and still make ends. Well, I can make more money. It's not about money. I mean, when everything comes to the very end and you've got a day to live and you know you're dying, you don't think about, I'm so glad I have a million dollars in my bank and I'm dying in 10 minutes and can't enjoy it. You'll then come to the fact of thinking, I wish I would have cleared up those matters with my daughter. We've had a strange relationship. I wish she were here right now. Or I wish I had more time with my wife. You don't think, I wish I had the Mercedes versus the Chrysler. <laughs> you don't think of those things. See, it's the it's the, the relationship. It's the heart that matters. So if we start treating that that way with the Lord now, we won't get to a place where we come to the end of our life and we're hoping that we can patch up and put some duct tape on the wires so that we're at least you know lit up when we die got real quiet here i realized you know we turned into a presbyterian church right away amen <laughs> i didn't mean to do that to you but but you haven't left at least so that's really good that's really good on you amen so what i'm getting to is what is real christianity and i hope you don't mind that i'm going to define it and you say what makes your definition of it become more valuable than mine. I'll wait until you hear my definition for you then to tell me what you think. Okay? I'm not going to try to put mine above yours because what you believe about it is where you live. What I believe about it is where I live. And to the results that you have in your life and the answered prayers and hearing the voice of God and walking in His presence... Whether that's happening or whether that's not, then that's the decisions that you have to make as far as whether you'd like to maybe listen to what I have to say this morning or just continue to make your own assessments, which is a part of what everyone has the right to do, okay? So what is real Christianity? That's a real loaded question because you're going to find a lot of different answers, especially with people that maybe haven't really thought of, is what I've accepted to be true accurate? Because you understand, numbers always persuade people, like crowds do. For instance, if we were all running a mile today, well, we would be influenced by others to run with the pack. We're just going a nice little pace. But pastor decides, you know, he wants to just run on ahead of everybody. And then we're all going to feel bad because we know we could up the pace, but do we want to? Because we could solve this problem by just having somebody run up to pastor and say, uh, we don't do it this way. We all run together. And if pastor decides to say, well, I want to do what I want to do. Well, you know, a crowbar to the knee will cause him to run with us. And that has been religion over the years. That's a definition. You run with the pack. Come on, think about it. In the early church, they're meeting in homes. They don't have coliseums. They don't have big buildings to meet. Synagogues is where the religious people met, but they weren't going to be welcomed to lift up their hands and pray in other tongues and have somebody healed in the synagogue. Look what they did to Jesus. So where did they meet? In homes. Well, they're experiencing God in homes. Why wouldn't they? There's nothing hanging over their head that speaks of religion like we're doing this to be seen. This is the way we do. Or we've got stars to prove we've got perfect attendance. Right? There's nothing. So then it's more genuine. People are meeting to actually experience God. Well, you know, think back, a church history, Constantine, he didn't like that. He wanted the group model. So he went to all these different leaders and said, hey, come out from your hiding. In other words, we can't beat them, so let's join them. Come out from your hiding. We've got big buildings. You could come and we can all assemble together. Yeah. And then when everybody assembles together, we begin to manipulate what happens until we take away God from the meeting. And now you're left with religion. A form of religion, but deny the power. Deny the power means take God away. Talk about Him as long as you don't what? Meet Him. Worship Him as long as you don't what? Experience Him. Keep it in the realm of it's just a belief not an actual experience, and we're aces. And who do you think came up with that? The devil. Why? He experienced Jesus as he thumped on his head in hell and defeated principalities and powers. He knows how buffed and strong he is. He wants to keep Jesus inside your pocket as a two-inch little monument while he's portrayed as the big bad wolf that comes to take away and steal and destroy and, and take away from our lives. And in most Christians' lives, their God is just a little tiny God and the devil's this big, huge devil. The greatest thing the devil's ever done is to make you think he's somebody. If you think he's somebody, he's already won he's a nobody he's a loser come on think about it isaiah gives us a picture when we're in heaven and we pour. Uh, before us is brought the devil and we look and we think what no it can't be he's big he's red pitchfork ugly horns he's horrible And we're going to look at him and we're going to think, is this what caused nations to tremble and brought men to their knees? And then we're going to think how we died with cancer. And we're going to think how our marriage was destroyed. We're going to think how our kids were destroyed. We're going to think how we were kept in poverty and we never had anything. And we're going to look at the source of the information and the deception that brought us to those conclusions. And we're going to say, are you kidding me? like Mark Hankins used to say, swing over hell on a cornstalk and spit in the devil's eye. I just love that. I love it because it defies everything, and yet it's just so like, you know, all out. John Wayne, you know. John who? <laughs> That's pretty good right there. You've been practicing. That's awesome. So what is Christianity? Do you know, for most people, it would be uh, making sure they get ready to go to a particular place and dress a certain way and act a certain way one time a week at about 10 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Now, let me help you with this. Prayer is, is very simple. It is interaction with God. Have you had any prayer time with your spouse today? Have you interacted with them? That's what it is. It's not some pompous position that you have to get in, and yet positions do dictate the seriousness of your heart. Here you are all by yourself, no one's looking, and you're down on your knees or prostrate on on your living room floor crying out to God. Positions do show some things about your heart. But you don't have to be in a position to connect with God any more than you have to be in some perfect position to connect with your spouse. It's interaction. And interaction is many things, is it not? I I remember some of my, this may sound weird, but some of my greatest sense of feeling safe in my life was sitting in the front seat while my dad was driving and we weren't even saying a thing. He was just there and I was with him. Sometimes it's not about talking. Sometimes it is, but it's interaction. So what's he saying? Interact with God without ceasing. Wow, is it possible this could be Christianity? And if it was, could we get good At interacting. Well, I'm just not real good at communicating. But if you did it all the time, wouldn't you get better? I mean, anything you're not good at, if you'll just stay with it, you'll get a little better. Ask Lucille Ball. If you remember when she was trying to put chocolates inside the box... See, some of you understand now you go back to that episode because that was one of everybody's favorites, and she's talking with Ethel, and those chocolates are coming off the conveyor belt, and they're coming so fast she's trying to stick them in and chucking them over her shoulder, stuffing them in her shirt, and eating them and putting them in her pants, trying to keep up with it. Because obviously the motor skills weren't so good, but we didn't see the next episode that she'd been at it for two weeks and how her and Ethel just went like this without even thinking and hardly even looking, and they made their quota, and they didn't drop one little chocolate. Why? Because they began to, what, have motor skills that began to get good and skilled and more proficient. And anything you work on, you can get better at. And if you could get better at communicating and interacting with God, which means it's not a Johnny Carson monologue, it's a what? It's a dialogue. Wouldn't that be awesome to have God speaking to you and you speaking to him and actually having it make sense? And you're able to navigate through life completely. And anytime something comes in your way, you just step back and you immediately let God speak to you and direct you and give you guidance. And then things like pandemics, excuse me, or pandemics, whatever you want to call it, things, things that come to the earth that seem to shake everybody else, you just literally say, bring it on. Yeah. Why? Because I'm shielded in the front and behind by a presence that I've been communicating with. So the same presence I'm communicating with and become good at is the same presence that will kill every sickness and every disease before it touches me. There is an aura that comes out of every single person. Isn't that the reason why when we were first married, she would like to get close and really snuggle? Why? Because she was cold. You know, for better or worse, one of the things that happened, and it was only a couple days into our marriage, is when she put her ice-cold feet on the (laughs) inside of my thigh, and I said, what is that? Because it was so cold, and she said, it's my feet. And I said, are you breathing? No one can be that cold and still breathe it. She said, yes, or, did you have your little footies on? She said, I had them on. And I said, oh, my goodness, this is one of those things in our marriage vows. That's what I thought.
2: <laughs> I've
1: got I've to let her do it and suffer through
2: it. <laughs>
1: Amen. So what does that mean? We have heat that comes out of us. It's just natural. And the harder you work and the more that you're proficient with your work, the more heat will come out of you. Well, the more you turn God to work, in other words, He's living in you, the more you communicate, the more excited He gets, the more His temperature goes up. What do you think comes out of you from Him? It's what came out of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. We're going to see that in the next couple of days. Maybe even see it here this morning. So now you're over in Romans in chapter 8. Am I helping you to get the right picture here? I'm going to make a statement here. This is one, not that you have to write it down, but if you'd like to, this is a good one to write down. You're saying, why are you drinking a coffee? Well, I'm not a coffee person, but I do. If you put enough milk in it and you put a little flavor in it, you know, I can do an espresso or one of those latte things. It's a girly drink, you know. But, but I'll tell you this, I, I don't think it affects me, but my wife will, will verify that if I can have one of these things, it's going to be a whopper of a day, praise <laughs> the Lord. So you're, you're going to get the best of me, amen, amen, amen. So <laughs> this is a really good statement. How you do life is how you will do faith. And if your faith isn't working, producing results, It goes back to how you do life. I'll say it again. How you do life is how you'll do faith. And if your faith isn't working, it goes back to how you do life. And you say, what what does do life mean? That very simply is your perspective about your life, which includes why you choose what you choose. You, you have to understand, and I do too, we've made choices already this morning, possibly into the hundreds, without even thinking about those choices. They have become a part of your ret- routines, habits. Right? Some of you made it to the coffee pot without even really being awake. <laughs> right? Things we just do without thinking. They're a part of your routine. Why do you do what you do? That's your perspective. Why do you put some things before other things? That's your perspective. That's how you do life. And how we do life either has in it the resolve, the absoluteness of character, integrity, the lack of compromise, that connects really well with a God who just is what he is and he's not what he's not. If he says it, he'll do it. If he decrees it, he'll make it happen. So we may say, I'll be there at 10 o'clock and we show up at 10.10. Well, it's not really bad. It's only 10 minutes off. Yes, but the old generation used to get there 10 minutes early, 9.50. And then be actually ready to work at 10.00. Well, the younger generation gets there at 1010 10 and complains that they're being told that they're wrong for just 10 minutes, when especially they couldn't help it because there were, they, they hit four red lights. Well, if you knew there were four red lights, then why didn't you leave 10 minutes earlier? Hmm? Well, this so that's just, just such a little thing. Every little thing adds up to a world of your perspective. And if it's not connecting so simply with God, then that means that world has something in it that's not right. It's the little foxes Solomon Song of Solomon 2:15 that spoil the vine. So it's also the little tiny repairs that fixes it. Are you hearing within what we're saying that Christianity should be vibrant and alive and exciting? I mean, if this is what it is down here, is it going to be peat and repeat when we get to heaven? I mean, after about two weeks, we're going to say, is there any other place we could go? And it's it's like, yeah, there is, but it's not good. (laughs)
2: It's hot, lonely,
1: terrifying. All right, I guess I'll stay. No, no. He's going to show us another side of his loving kindness and grace toward us in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, throughout all a billion years in heaven. And you're still going to wake up and go, wow, God, you're awesome. You outdid yourself again. Don't even... Think about wearing socks in heaven. (laughs) They come right off every morning. Everybody's socks come off. Blown right away. Amen. My mind. (laughs) Because he's amazing. He's awesome. He's so wonderful. And there's no end. No end to his grace, his loving kindness. Amen. In Christ Jesus. Which means... We just have such a small, teeny, weeny, tiny little idea of what we're going to experience. A friend of mine, super, super smart, was seeing Jesus every single night going to heaven and experiencing the Lord, every single night. I asked him, I said, so do you feel like you're kind of like at the tip of an iceberg? With your experiences with God? He said, No, not even close. He said, if it were anything, it would be looking at a postcard of a tip of an iceberg. I'm not even to the iceberg. And I'm experiencing the Lord. He would say it like this, by time I drop this cup of coffee and it hits the floor, I've already asked him five hundred questions and got five hundred answers. He said, Everything is different up there. Your thoughts communicate. Now this was a genius. Four earned PhDs, 17 author books in Barnes and Nobles on horses, could read 5,000 words per minute with 97% retention, and was really pretty peeved about the 3% that he didn't have. And I told him, I said, well, I take that. I mean, that's mine." (laughs) Blonde hair. Yeah, that's what I got. (laughs) Sorry. I'm sure you've got at least 6%. Amen. I have three. Another six. Amen. Super, super smart. He figured out how to go home, how to experience God, how to so lessen the body and the world around him and to have no meaning to it until all his meaning and what was valuable was Christ and Christ alone. And he's standing before God, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. And the first thing they said to him is, Welcome home. All my children are supposed to experience me like this. There's nothing special about you. You're just one grain of sand on a very large beach. Isn't that interesting? I love that. Because in the religions and in the denominations, if somebody had experience like that, they'd say, I'll tell you what, this is the most special experience that anyone could have. Now, don't think everybody can have it. I mean, only one person can win the lottery, you know. And if and if you won the lottery and then you were at the 7-Eleven buying more tickets the next day, we'd all have to say, what? how greedy can you be? You just won $400 million and you're going to try to win again? Well, I won once. Why wouldn't I win again? Oh, that's terrible. And that's what we do to Christians. They experience God and we want to make them feel like You just be happy. Not many people get this, you know. Just be happy you had it once. So you ask people, have you ever had an amazing experience with the Lord? Yes, I have. Well, when was it? 1942. (laughs) And you didn't want to have another one? Like if you ever had a steak and it was really good, did you want to have another one? Or did you just decide, I had the best steak in my life, I should stop right there in case one is not as good as this? Huh? I had one good kiss with my wife, but that's all I needed. We're married. (laughs) No, you need another one. And you actually want another one. (laughs) That took a lot of guts right there, brother. That was good. That is very much wisdom. I wanted to kind of do a a fist punch to you right there, but we're too far away. Amen. Any other men? Amen. 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 Come on, join in, man. That's a good thing to say. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now when it talks about the flesh here, he's really talking about the law. And the law just makes your flesh become the premier part of your spiritual being. See, we are spirit, we possess a soul, and we live in the body. The body's supposed to be the tag-along. Oh, what are we doing? Well, we're going to go meet God in the east part of the garden. Okay, I'll take you there. That's all the body is supposed to be, a transportation. It's like your vehicle. Come on, it's your container. Adam wasn't the body. God breathed Adam into a body. And when Adam got into that body, that body was called Adam. But who was Adam? The breath of God in the body. So when it says, if you live by the flesh, what it's talking about, you live according to try with your performance to please God. 4,000 years, that's how they had it. And then they figured out they couldn't do it, right? So then they started to become, you know, sheep herders and farmers. So as long as they had a lamb that was spotless, they could make a sacrifice and get off the hook because they needed help. No one on your own can do what's necessary to get to God. Once sin came and spread like wildfire so that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory, which simply means they fell short of the glory, meaning they lost their clothing. Adam and Eve glowed with the glory. That's why they were naked and not ashamed, because they had spiritual clothes on. When they lost the spiritual clothes, now they looked at the physical man and they became ashamed. And they passed that on to every single creature. And that's how people have been living ever since. I mean, what do you think Adam and Eve said to each other the moment they got kicked out of the garden? One thing, I think you'll agree. They looked at each other. They looked around and said, what are we going to do Now. And that's the beginning of the to do list. It is. We can laugh at that, but it's true. Now it's up to you. You have to fend for yourself. And you get that mentality, and God comes back in the picture, and we want to say, We're too busy. Lord, we're busy. We can't really hang out. I got things to do. And God's trying to say, Remember, I used to actually do all this for you. Your number one responsibility, which you used to love, was just hanging out with me. We walked, and we talked, and we enjoyed. And when you needed something, it was done for you by me. Yeah, but I'm busy. So if we don't feel good, we want the healing, but we're not necessarily... Interested in the healer because that would take time to hang out with him because we got things to do. Well, we'll see who comes back for the next session. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Hey, <laughs> man, this is good. So it goes on to say, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So now, all of a sudden, in the picture, instead of this life after the flesh working so hard within ourselves, entered into the picture is a life with another person, the Holy Spirit. Well, that's just a wisp of wind. It's just—it's just an idea. No, it's a person. It's a noun. Even I know what that is. <laughs> the Lord had told me years ago. He said, "I want you to study verbs." I said, "Yes." We said, "Why'd you say yes?" Because I knew what a verb was. <laughs> Wouldn't that be harder to say what's a verb? Amen, I knew he was saying, study action, things that pertain to action with me. So when it says, out of your belly flows rivers of living water, then you can see that the Holy Ghost, like rivers of living water, has motion and action, which is exciting because if I get in that motion, I've got myself a a miracle, a sign, a wonder, a healing. This is the Holy Spirit. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And Abba is a term of endearment. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. Now, I'm going to read this in the Message Bible, and I'm going to define for you what is Christianity. And then maybe we'll take a little break. It says, in verse 15 to 17 in the Message... This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. Think for a moment. That's good, isn't it? It says, This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. People are so afraid, aren't they? If it's you... Only in the area where you feel like you have some proficiency do you feel like you have confidence. Man, I can take a car apart and put it back together. Can you cook? Oh, I couldn't cook to save my life. Okay. See, one area, then other areas you don't feel good. And how do we do in life? If it's something we've already been there before, we feel like we can accomplish this. If it's something we have no idea, and it's a crisis beyond our, oh my God, what are we going to do? Let's go to the doctor. Let's go find out. I'm going to call so and so I'm going to call. What about Jesus? Well, I know, but I mean, you just kind of go to church and you kind of meet him on Sundays. Yes, but is it possible he's tangible enough to fix this? Well, I don't know. I never thought about it that way. Well, see, that means we've never entered into real Christianity. We've just had a form of religion. And we don't want a form of religion. Let me say it to you like this. Everything that contributes to God or Jesus, the Holy Ghost, becoming more real And more tangible is what you want to be involved in. But if you're involved in things that should bring tangibility and it's not, that means you're involved religiously. Like you read your Bible every day for two hours a day, but does it bring you to the tangibility of Christ? Because if it doesn't and you just got more information about someone you've not met, then that's religious. If you pray in other tongues two hours a day, and it should be building you up on your most holy faith, well, what's the thing that will build up your faith more than anything else? God's real. So when you're praying in other tongues and the Spirit of God's giving you words, that means you are having interaction very, very close and intimate with the Holy Ghost, which makes Him more real, which gives you more confidence to step out. You don't step out in the thick of the greatest crisis of your life with the idea that you hope he's there because I really never met him. You step out into the thickness of life and dare the devil because you know God is bigger. That's what David did. David's the only one with Goliath that mentioned the covenant. Who's this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Because I'm sure David's going, why is not someone else handling this guy? He's defying our God, and our God is bigger. Come on, even VeggieTales did a better job. (laughs) Junior asparagus and the giant pickle, come on. Didn't even have arms, so he threw the stone (laughs) like this. (laughs) Amen? But what made it so real? David said, God helped me to defeat the bear and he helped me to defeat the lion. Surely this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like them. He'd already experienced God. When David talked over in Psalm 119 and 139, he talked and just reiterated constantly. Thank you. Reiterated. She's got a timer there for me reiterated constantly about how your word is sweeter than the honeycomb. I lay at bed at night and I'm awakened by your word. He wasn't talking about his satchel filled with all kinds of scrolls. He was talking about, he was strumming on his harp and all of a sudden the word of the Lord came to him. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. A light unto my path. And he's thinking, wow, that is so good. And he writes that down. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. A light unto my path. Who shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? And it started and it just kept going until he finished that psalm. And now he's like messed up a little, you know? It's like... If you've ever been in some kind of event or uh, you know, wrestled a brother or something or been in some little tussle, when you're done, you sit there, but you're not normal. It's still on you. And David tried to go to sleep and just got up. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Oh, God, it's sweeter than the honeycomb. It's feeding me. I can't go to sleep at night. Why? He just experienced God. And that's the same God he was confident enough to stick himself right in the midst of Goliath. And when Goliath said, I'm going to take your head off. What am I, a dog? You come at me with a stick. And David poked right back at him, so I'm going to take your head off and I'm going to defeat the rest of the Philistines so you'll know that God is in Israel. And then he kind of inched his way toward him. No, he ran. (laughs) You don't run at your enemy unless you know something good's going to happen. One translation of Hebrews 11, verse 1, Now faces some subs of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. The Cotton Patch Translation said, Now faith is betting your life on the unseen realities of God. That's what it is. You go right to the edge of the pier, you know, your plank that you're walking, and tally-ho, you jump right off knowing God's there and He saves you. And yet down below is nothing but sharks. You bet it all on Jesus. You're not going to bet anything on Jesus if Jesus ain't real. And if the cancer's more real than Jesus, you're going to bet on the cancer. That's why you go to the doctor. Thank you, hon. Praise the Lord.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: I like that. sometimes that's all you need to hear. Just say It's just like sick them to a dog right now. Praise the Lord. We're going to skip our skip our break. We're going to go right night. No. <laughs> Listen, the resurrection life you receive from God is not timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike "What's next, Papa?" That, those three words, is Christianity. What's next, Papa? We had three girls. We even prophesied, too, we were going to have a boy. Now, we, I, I have to make this, in case my daughters ever hear this, we are thrilled with our three girls. We would not replace them with three boys, okay? We love them to pieces, all right? We just had our hearts set on, we thought we were going to have a boy, you know. Three times. Three times. Yeah. <laughs> The last time, I was so sure, because, you know, she's like, you know, put me away if we have another child. You know, she was ready to be done at three. For sure, it was going to be a boy. So I went to congregations for that nine months, and I said, hey, y'all believe with me. Just say this with me, boy, boy, <laughs> boy. Very good. Thank you very much. Amen. Then I found out how much faith, faith they had. We had a girl. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But our first grandchild, his little boy, little Theo, Theo James, and it's such a delight of our heart to be with this little boy, and I mean even within that first year we were all together, and they came out to Boise, Idaho, and my uh, niece uh, was getting married. That was last year, and um, so we were all together. We we rented this house, you know, the Airbnb house, and where everybody could stay together. And it was so fun to be with them. Now, Theo, you know, the tr- through the travel and everything, he was a little bit cranky and just kind of tired, you know, because you're traveling on a plane. And so, you know, I, I just did what I would do. It was just came natural to me. You know, kind of help out whatever one is hurting. You kind of go to the hurting one and help them out. Are you doing okay? Not to overlook. So I just got down on the floor, started throwing the ball at him, started just having fun. And he just took a real liking to me until all he wanted was me. And then the family started saying, Dad, I mean, there's more people here than just you. You know why? You're taking all of his attention. I said, I'm not taking anything. I said, I'm the only one on the floor. Get on the floor if you want. That's where the kid wants to play. He don't want to play in your lap. He wants to play on the floor. So one thing next to the one thing next. And all of a sudden, I've got a what's next papa deal going. And now he's starting to learn to talk a little bit later. I guess boys, you know, could care less about that when they're throwing a ball. So we're trying to find out what our names are. She wants to be Grammy, and it came out Gaggy. So I call her Grandma Gaggy. <laughs> Thank <you>. Thank <laughs> That's you for that. just the greatest thing in the world. Amen. I'm just gonna hold on to that forever. <laughs> so then mine was easy. Grandpa came out Pa. So sometimes he's saying Pa, Pa and I don't even realize I got to get my gear. Yeah, you're talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> you want up? Up. And it's going from one to the next to the next of what? What's next, Papa? And I can't tell you any more than giving you that example how much God just wants you to do the same. Your speech might be not be good. It may come out gaggy <laughs> to God, gaggy. And he's going to just grab you up in his arms. He may throw the ball at you and hit you in the head and bounces off. But still, what's next, Papa, is Christianity. And if it's anything less than that, then so much religion has gotten in that it's pulled God away from the equation. And you've got the nuts and bolts, but without the person. No one would think anything. It's just another another church, you know. But the moment it's a healing ministry, oh my goodness, the, the, all the wolves come out of the woodwork, you know, to basically accuse you of their perception of what they've known of healing evangelists type of thing, you know. I mean, if... If I came up here and my hair was completely slicked back and I sang four songs and acted real arrogant and then took, you know, about uh, 45 minutes on my book table and why you should give into the offering, well, then you probably would have uh, clicked off every single (laughs) one uh, that was, you know, and if I had made you believe that somebody was healed that wasn't, then you've got that again. Now, that doesn't take away their belief in what God did that they hadn't seen initially because even Jesus told the lepers, go, show yourselves to the priest. Well, they weren't healed instantly, but on their way to the priest, the healing manifested. So much so, and of course, it didn't take two days because the guy that that was so thankful for his healing, the one out of the ten found Jesus where he was to be able to say, look at what happened. And that might have been a nose being put back on, his skin becoming normal, part of his flesh that could have fallen off being restored and put back on. Um, So we can't discount that we've seen all kinds of people on the third day. Why the third day? I don't know. On the third day, every symptom disappeared. What well, does that mean they didn't get anything the first day? Well, it's obvious they got the person and how they perceive what they're receiving. In other words, if I was going to give you a gift, the, out, the outcome of that exchange would have to do with what gift I actually gave to you of what amount and then how much of that gift that I gave to you did you receive. So let's say there's 10 apples in my bushel basket that I'm giving you. Well, why didn't you give him 50? You only gave him 10. And you only experienced two. And you forgot about them. And the other eight, well, they, they got, uh, what would you call it? Rotten. So now, I only gave 10. I could have given 50. And you only partook of two. So you see the exchange. There's, there's more to it than people think. Some people, you know, are questioning and they might only take a little, but even the man that only could see tree, people like trees, he was willing for Jesus to minister to him again and then his eyes were completely clear. So there's a lot of things, you know, in in those boxes that some people don't understand about divine healing that have, that make it possible for people then to say, yeah, see, see, see right there. And not realize, well, maybe watch them for the next couple of days and see what actually happened. So the, the thing that we contend for is for people to see the healings right here, right now, as the validation for the sake of somebody that didn't see it instantly to know that theirs is just as real as the other. We didn't parcel out, you know, 10 apples to you and you had an instant healing and we gave you one. God's bigger than that. He's life and life more abundantly, so things that come from Him is in abundance. So we're always working to produce results presently so it helps even cause the people that receive slower to actually stay in the game and not give up. If Jesus always caused people or told people to go away and just keep the switch of faith turned on, He wouldn't have had a big ministry. What produced a big ministry is every single one that touched was made perfectly whole. Well, that's like in the thousands, and they're all walking away going, we're whole. Well, that news spread really quick, right? And so we've diluted that in the church world, and part of the dilution of it is exactly what we're talking about right here. We've taken God away from the actual experience put God back in the mix and get out of the way and he actually is the same God that, that took him through a Red Sea. And he'll still do that today. How come he's not doing that today, seemingly? Well, think about it. Under the old covenant, God was in what? A box. Right? A box made out of what? Wood. Who created, where did the wood come from? A tree. Who made the tree? God. In other words, do you think God had access in and out of that box? Yeah. Yeah. God was even in the wood before God got in the box. And then all you needed was a lamb that was spotless to cover your sin that would give God the right of passage. So even at Obed-Edom, if you remember the story, David's bringing back the ark and Uzzah tries to steady the ark when the oxen stumble and it looked like the ark could have fallen off. But remember, everybody under the old covenant, they're not born again. Their heart is sinful and a sinful man can't touch a holy God. I mean, do you remember when God came to meet the children of Israel in the desert? And even to this day, the third of that mountain is charred that's where God sat. God wasn't beating a war drum. He was coming to say, hi, I'm the guy that's helping you. But he gave him instructions. Purify yourselves for three days and don't touch the mountain. That's kind of like the sign you've been walking by that old warehouse forever. And never thought about anything. But one day they put up a sign that says, don't break the windows with stones. And all of a sudden you're looking at the ground for some reason. (laughs) And your eye goes, (laughs) and it's like, wow, that was awesome. Because you weren't supposed to. Right? Don't touch the mountain. Thousands touched the mountain. And there was a pile up of dead people. Can you imagine being in that line? And you're like the third person going, I'm going to do that too. <laughs> this is an old covenant. Man couldn't come to God like we can today. So the moment you remove God from the situation, you're, you're back to a lifeless religion. Religion. And it sounds okay, it just doesn't have any punch to it. And that's what the world is finally fed up with. It's the rhetoric of Christians. The smug look on their face that they're better than everyone, but there's no product to their life that proves that they are. If you had result after result after result in your life and you shared with somebody this is a wonderful experience to know God and they knew that you were experiencing Him, well, just the experience alone. And so I go back to these people that are saying things about me. And you know what? There's a part of me that I'm a fighter. I want to tell them you're a bunch of morons. But the other part of me says, you can't blame them, Jim. They're only a byproduct of past generations of those that have proclaimed things and not demonstrated it to the degree that would meet and satisfy their hunger. Because what they're really saying when when they're accusing me is, Please, will you show me that it's real? Yeah. That's what they're saying. So my thought is, all right, let's do this. Uh, this healing center we're doing, we're just in a holiday inn right now. We're just starting, but, of course, we want to have our own building. Once we have our own building, we actually have a couple of doctors that are ready to set us up with a laboratory attached to our building. And this laboratory, will, of course, we'll have you know someone to do blood work. We'll have someone to do X-ray work, X-rays, uh, um, ultrasounds, MRIs. It'll be a full-fledged laboratory, but we won't have any doctors there because our doctors are a team of doctors, 10 of them in Atlanta, Georgia, that are hooked up to this type of a a laboratory where we'll send all our results to this team and they'll give all the reports back to us. And we'll just have to have a nice little space and bring people in to have the space for all the equipment and then for the blood work. We'll send all the results to them. They send us back the report. We're going to use that laboratory to validate all the results and not in a sense to put people that shouldn't be talking like they're talking to me in their place but but why not turn it around in a loving manner to say to give them the right to believe in Jesus
2: Amen. Yeah.
1: and then what kind of of um workers do you think you could create in that environment somebody that's never laid hands on anybody before so like, come on lay hands on this person with me and we lay hands on them And then we send them to get a blood work, and the blood work comes back to show how much of a healing, either incomplete or some part of a healing, has already taken place from just one time of laying hands. Now you look at that kid and you say, what do you think about that? He goes, I I can't believe God used me. Do you think you might be able to lay hands on her again? Oh, yeah. And what about the lady if you went to her and said, look at how much of your healing has already come just one time? Do you think, uh, oh, she said, today you lay hands on me and the rest of it will be there. You see, everything works in a sense of confidence. And by saying that, I'm not trying to say that people won't be instantly healed. Of course they will. But I'm saying building confidence step by step until it's the most normal thing. If you go to that place, you will be healed. Our vision is, once we have our place, to be able to have in the foyer multiple pedestals with iPads on them where a person can come in and hit C for cancer and pull up 50 reports that are documented. Listen to people's small little 30-second testimonies. I had cancer in the fourth stage, and now I'm healed. Like the lady I talk with on the phone, she's got a six-year-old son, and she's about 38 years of age, and she's going to die with fourth stage cancer. She's already had both of her breasts removed. She's, she's uh, lost all her hair, lost all her weight. She said, I lost all my dignity, and she said, I lost all my hope. I went to MD Anderson with my father. She's divorced. Went to MD Anderson with my father, hoping that they would have some type of cure. They took one, one moment to look at my report. They looked at my condition of my body. They walked out and she said, I, I can still hear the door close and slam so, so loudly in my face. As I said, go home, get yourself together. You're dying. I heard about it. And I asked a lady that told me about this person. I said, well, instead of just praying for them, I said, give me your number. I'll call her. And I remember calling her on the phone. First thing I asked, and she writes in her testimony, the first thing he asked me was, uh, are you saved? And she said, I could say yes, I am saved. The second thing I asked, do you believe that God will heal you? She said, there was no reason for me to say yes. I'd never seen it before. I'm a nurse. She said, there was no reason for me to say yes. I said, no, I don't believe that. Then he proceeded to tell me one testimony after another testimony after another testimony until right in the middle of a sentence he stopped and said, right there, right there. Did you feel that? That's what I said on the phone. I said, that's your healing right there. She said, I dropped to my knees. She said, I did feel it. My hands immediately went up into the air. Heat went down into my arm where they found new, new cancer cells in my lymph node. My dog, who never barked, started barking at that very moment. She said, there were too many coincidences r- for me to think that it didn't happen, just like he said. And I grabbed a hold of it. I knew it was real, and I knew in my heart that I was healed. She said, but being a nurse, I wanted to read the oncology report for myself. Ten days later, I read it, and it said, there is no cancer left in my body. This is what we want to do, to make it so real, to get out of the way and stop all the religious stuff so that people will really find Jesus. Don't don't you just hunger for people to want to know God, even if we don't know him very well? But the little that we know him, he's amazing. Don't we want others to know that? That's what I want. Ten years 500 times a year I preached at the Hagen Ministry for 10 years in a row. And every day I walked over to Prayer and Healing Center. This was my prayer. Father, I don't care if anybody sees me. There's only one reason why I'm preaching today. It's so that the people will see how amazing you are. I'm not preaching for the people. You're not preaching for the sick people? No. Well, why not? Because if they see God, they won't be sick anymore. That was my, my only goal. Help them to see as much up, as much as I know about you, I want to at least give them that much so that they'll come in contact with him. You know, I mean, what I don't want to happen is we're in this big, long line, you know. So, well, it's probably not as long as we'd like to think. Jesus did say there's only a few that are on the narrow way, but there's like everybody else on the broad way to destruction. But anyhow, we're in this line and Peter's checking everybody in and I finally make it up to the halfway point and There's a big angel there. I just can't take it anymore. And I look at him and I say, hey, what does he look like? And the angel says, who, who are you talking about? I said, Jesus, what does he look like? And the angel looks like at me and goes, how'd you, how'd you get in this line? <laughs> do, do you get it? Seat to an angel that's not wrapped in flesh, in a world full of religion that pulls you away from the tangibility of the other world. To an angel, everything is about tangibility, spiritual tangibility. In other words, your spiritual sight is perfect. Your spiritual ears are perfect. So you hear him perfectly. You see him perfectly. So to him, of course, if you're saved, like you haven't met him yet? You haven't haven't seen him yet? Wow, I didn't know you could be in this line and not see him. That's what an angel would say. So we want to bring the tangibility of God back. Because just one moment in the presence of the Lord, you'll be like very wide-eyed and like, okay, he's real, he's real, he's real. Yeah, yeah, amen. Well, let's just jump right back in to where we were. Talking about what's next, Papa. I hope that's good for you. Because boy, that really does it for me. What's next, Papa? And it goes on to say, God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are, father and children. And the word know really means experience. Let's put that in there. We experience who he is, and we experience who we are. Think about it. How many people have never experienced who you really are? How many Christians believe in God and love the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior that don't even know they're a spiritual being. They've never been taught. You're a spirit. I'm a what? A spirit. Come on, Jesus talked to a woman at the well. In the Message Bible says, you must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. Engage. Well, how do you engage something you don't know you are? I bought a little yellow Audi TT for like $6,700, you know, for my second daughter. You don't, you don't, we found out, you don't buy your kids like a brand new car the first time they get in because they're going to drive into something. You know what I mean? I mean, my first daughter, she got a Mini Cooper, and she grazed a friend's car as she was parking it, and it didn't, it just rubbed off. So it wasn't very much at all, okay? It didn't hurt it at all. A Mini Cooper. I looked at her and said, Allie. We could take the Mini Cooper sideways and fit it into this parking spot. <laughs> How did you did you grace that car, hon? It's this big. He said, I'm no, Dad. I don't know. Well, I'm glad we didn't get her like you know a, a real big one, you know. So anyhow, it's just this nice little car, and Drew was so excited. I got it at an auction, first time I've ever been to an auction. I drove it home, but I didn't look inside because you didn't have all kinds of time while it's, it's going through the bay. I mean, you've got to hurry up and bid on it, and we got it. And then I finally looked inside, and it was a six-speed. Well, this will date me, but how many of you drove or learned how to drive on a stick shift? Yes, I know how old you are. It was either a three on the tree or a four on the floor. floor. Yes, yes, see, we're right there together. <laughs> so I enjoyed every bit of it, driving it home. Zing, 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 zing. I'm driving home, you know, quattro, all four-wheel drive, you know, this little yellow car, it's a girl's car. <laughs> the next morning, she came out and said, oh, that looks awesome, Dad. And I said, look inside, hon. You got beautiful leather and heated seats. And open it up. And the first thing she looked in, she said, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) I said, that's the clutch, honey. And then she looked at me as serious as could be and said, do do I have to use it? (laughs) And I said, well, I said, that depends on whether or not you want it to sit in the garage and just kind of rev the engine or whether you want to drive down the street. She said, how many times do I have to use it? I said, look at that little knob right there and tell me how many numbers are on there. She said, it says six. I said, you get to go six up and six back down. (laughs) Guess who drove that girl's car for a year and a half? (laughs) She took my little automatic. (laughs) You must engage. Well, what if you don't know your spirit? How can you engage your spirit? What's my spirit? Right? You need to keep those comments down a little bit. Gaggy. <laughs> I looked at Pastor afterwards. I said, wasn't that great? He goes, gaggy forever. That's what Pastor said. <laughs> that just made me really happy when you said that. <laughs> no, this is Aaron, actually. but So anyhow, uh, this is really, really good. Okay, let's get past this because I want to share some things. Romans chapter 7 and verse 6. Now, let's set this up real quick because we don't have time to read everything. Time goes by so fast in these kind of meetings. But this is Paul in Romans 7. I mean, he's just come out of Romans, well, obviously, Romans 6, where he's talking about our identification with Christ. I've died with him, now I've arisen with him. Shall so we continue to sin uh, uh, when uh, any longer when, how, how does it say, what shall I say then, shall I continue to sin when, um, that, grace may abound? that grace may abound, thank you. I mean, I had that memorized, it's just left me for a second, mm-hmm. that grace may abound. And he said, God forbid, how shall I, that, uh, that I'm dead to sin, live any longer in it? And he continues to give us this amazing expose. <laughs> now chapter 7, he's going to go back to what it was like to be under the law. And tell you what it was like. And he starts out with a marriage example. When you're married, to have someone else would be adultery. It would be breaking that law or that contract together. However, if one died, you are free from the marriage contract to marry another. Okay? So, in that illustration, he's going to the law now. Someone has to die in order to free you from the old contract. And that is Jesus. He died on our behalf to free us from the old contract so we can marry another. Well, what's the other contract we're going to marry? The contract of grace. And so now we come over here to verse 6, and it says in the King James, But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by. So the law will hold you. Like I'm trying to go forward, but I'm being held. I'm not making progress. Why? Because of the law. What is the law reminding you of? It constantly reminds you of what you're not good at. And it constantly reminds you that you need to work harder to get good at it. I had nine out of ten yesterday. That one just tripped me up. So now you're going to work harder to have what? Ten commandments out of ten. Because, you know, if you mess up one, you mess them all up. It's very harsh. But guess what else is harsh? Hell is harsh. It's forever. You don't get a trial there and come out saying, I really want Jesus now. It's over. When you're there, you're there. Sad, but true. And the law was harsh. Why? It wanted to give you a taste of what you can't do on your own. So you'd stick up your white flag and be ready for a Savior to save you. And isn't it interesting that the law so blinded people that even when the Savior came, they didn't see him. Jesus even said the Message Bible says, you got your heads in your Bibles and you think the answer is in there to find me. And I stand before you as a fulfillment and you completely Disavow me. In other words, think of what he just said. You can even study the Bible wrong and get the essence of religion and information. You'll be a great debater, but you can't get an answer to a prayer because he's not real. You can miss God by studying the book. Do you know how many people I've watched die? Quote more scriptures than I can quote? You'd think if you can quote one, why doesn't it work? Do you think by memorizing Betty Crocker's cookbook, it makes you a cook? I love Betty Crocker's book, cookbook. I used to take it with me everywhere. I go, But now I've memorized every single page. But you look as skinny as a rail. Yeah, I don't eat much. Why? I don't cook. But you memorized the book. I love the book. Would you like to spend some time with Betty? I don't need Betty. I have her book. Right? I walk to work with the owner's manual under my arm. I've got an amazing truck. And I found out it has intermittent wipers. They work on their own. Where's your truck? It's in the garage. Come on, ask yourself the question, how many of you have, this is me, my wife's different, you know, she would read every, every bit of the instructions to an owner's manual. If we're going to put together a toy, she reads it all. I put the toy together and only read it if there's a part missing.
2: <laughs>
1: we're very different. And that is good, because then at least she'll tell me where it was missing. <laughs> right? I mean, how quickly? Now, I'm not saying this to get rid of the Bible, but how quickly do you want to get out of the owner's manual or out of the recipe book into the actual cooking? And then once you cook, how many of you want to eat it? Once you get in your car, how many of you want to what? Drive it. If we'll look at the Bible that way, then as we read it, we're wanting to what? Experience him and then drive it. And if you'll do that, Wow, there's nobody in this book. You can get encouraged from sundown to sunup or sunup to sundown. In this book, reading every single chapter, every single book, you'll find experiences of people that connected to God. And wow, the things that happened. Seas split, manna came down from heaven, glory. The dead were raised, cripples walked, blind eyes opened up. I mean, come on. That ought to be encouraging enough to say, what they had, I want that. What what is it? The religion? No. The person. Amen? Amen? So look at it. It says, the law held us. And then it goes on to say, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now, Uh, Hold on, because I'm going to give you different translations that are going to help you to understand what this means. And this is so important because this right here is describing what's next, Papa. And Paul's using two different systems, the law and the dispensation of grace. Under this dispensation of grace, see, people preach a grace message and everybody thinks that means that we can just go sin when we want to. Hardly, the message of grace means you can touch the mountain without dying. And if you'll touch it, glory to God, you'll find him. And if bad influence corrupts good morals, what kind of influence with God, keeping company with God, wouldn't completely overhaul and change yours? So are you supposed to get saved by grace and then work like the dickens to change yourself? No. You get saved by grace so you can hang out with Papa, and as you're hanging out with him, he changes you. The reason why we get stuck in the book is because we can touch it and we can read it, which keeps us stuck to the earthly realm. People that learn to play music by ear are not stuck to a book, but they certainly can learn that these chords have names and numbers and they can have a chord chart and read it and play it along with playing by ear. But if you go to a book first and learn A, B, C, D, E, F, G, da, 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 and you learn your chords, you do your scales, guess what? Somebody says, can you play the piano? Yes, I can. Well, play me something, and that's me. I can play the piano. Play me something. I'd have to say, I need a book. Or I need to memorize the book. So where does that keep you held? to the outer world. Someone that plays by ear is what? They tapped into the inner world. Are you seeing this? We want both in the Christian world. It's the Word and the Spirit. We've had an explosion for 40 years of the Word of Faith. But what it did is it made everyone so stuck on just the Word that they couldn't come out of their Bibles to find God. Lady calls me, she said, I'm doing more than I've ever done before. I'm reading more, I'm praying more, and I'm confessing more. How come this tumor's not leaving? And I said, well, if you want my opinion, for the next two weeks, don't pick up your Bible, don't read it, don't pray. And I said, for crying out loud, don't confess a thing. And she got quiet. And then when she said something, it was this. Can can you repeat that? (laughs) And I said, It wasn't that difficult. It was very simple. For the next two weeks, don't pick up your Bible. Don't pray. And I said, don't confess anything. She snapped back at me and said, what am I supposed to do then? I said, find God. If you'll find him, then everything you read, pray, and confess will be connected. And there will be no tumor. Hmm. No one ever has a healing without the Holy Ghost. Doesn't work. Who's the first individual personality that was mentioned in the Bible? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God meaning Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The second chapter, it defined a personality. Don't you think it would have been the Father? It was the Holy Ghost. And the Spirit of God was hovering upon the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was doing what? He was just sitting there, twiddling his thumbs? No, he was in action. He was in motion. What was he doing? Hovering. What does the word hover mean? It means to brood. What does the word brood mean? It's, it gives you the idea of a, a, a hen sitting on her, on her eggs to hatch those eggs. In other words, the hen is providing warmth and energy to bring forth life. What was the Holy Ghost doing? He was providing warmth and energy to bring forth life. Did he create the life? No. Somebody had to say something that they, they heard in the boardroom. So in the boardroom, the father said, here's the plans. Jesus is the word. He said, light be. And the Holy Ghost was there ahead of time. He wasn't off on a picnic going, oh my gosh, I'm late for the creation. and And, and, and the father and Jesus said, What gives with the Holy Ghost? I mean, he's always screwing up because that's what people think. I believe I received my healing, but I'm waiting on the manifestation. I believe, right? But the Holy Ghost is a screw up. When's he going to get here? No, the Holy Ghost, from the second verse of the Bible, God set a precedent for you to know he's never late. He's always early. And when he's there, he's warming it up because he expects you to receive and and, and experience. Every healing comes with the Holy Ghost. You know, I don't know why, but it just seemed like today was the day. Well, how did your seamer know today was the day? The Holy Ghost. I was reading that verse of scripture, and it jumped out of the page and into my heart. How did it jump? The Holy Ghost. I felt warmth. How'd you feel warmth? The Holy Ghost. It's like I knew in my mind that, that God said, how'd you hear that? The Holy Ghost. Everything is the Holy Ghost in this dispensation. He was sent here to do what? To be our helper, counselor our standby our strength he is the expression of god the father and jesus the son and no healing comes without him what's next papa you're all quiet again i think you're thinking i don't think you're mad (laughs) i'm reading your faces and they look good it says in weamus translation But now the law's claim on us is annulled. I like that. We have escaped by death from that which held us prisoners. What do you mean? When Christ died, you died. He took your place. Who did Jesus come to reveal God as? The Father. Did he not allude to him as father all the time? That got him in trouble, right? Do you know there was a time where he didn't allude to him as father? Do you know when that was? On the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That sounds just like a person. That's right. Because when sin's vial was poured into him and he became your sin and my sin, Past, present, and future. The whole world's sin. In that moment, he was human and he identified with sinful humanity. God wasn't his father. He was God. He went to hell like us. He went to hell not thinking, man, can't wait to get out on the third day. Where's daddy? No, he went to hell the same way anyone else will go to hell. The moment you're there, Every hope is snatched from your very being. Your life is over. But on the third day, the light of the Holy Ghost broke through hell and lit that place up, and you know what roaches do when the lights are on. Everything scurried, and Jesus was filled with not just what he walked in as a man, but he was filled with the glory of the Father, Come on, that's what he prayed before he went to hell, before he went to the cross. Father, i finished your assignment. Glorify me now with the glory which I had from the beginning of time, which means when he walked on the earth, he didn't have all the glory. He had Adam's glory. Why? He was the last of the Adams. He wasn't the second Adam. God wasn't real pleased with the Adams family. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. There were were its and things, and they just had a real different tune about them. You know what I mean? He didn't want to perpetuate the Adams family. He wanted to kill it and bury it and start a brand new race of people. that race of people didn't have anything to do with the color of a person's skin, where you were from. It had to do with what? Your heart. Jesus came out of the grave not as a new improved Adam. He came out of the grave as a resurrected and glorified Christ. And as many as will receive him to them, he gives power to become sons of God even to them that are called by his name. And that's what we are, sons of the living God. There's more God in us than human. I'm going to say it again because that does not register with people. There is more God in us than human. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And you could say greater is he that's in me than me. When he stepped inside of your being and he's living inside your laundry, walking around in your shoes, he is the essence of your spiritual nature. It's just like God himself and God is one with you, one spiritual being. You find that over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. This is a great mystery of the church. How could Christ get inside of you and then give you his glory for you to use? Come on, what is his glory? It's like a wand. W healed, a W free of that devil. I set you free from that lack. We got that glory. I mean, if glory were a were a pillow, God would be into a pillow manufacturing company. <laughs> Why? He's delving them out one after the other because his kids are using so many pillows. He has to just keep creating so many more to give us because we're using them all the time. But what if we don't even know we're a spirit? What if we fall into this religious category? God's got all this glory and he's got a manufacturing company that actually looks like the windows have been knocked out just like some abandoned warehouse because we're not using enough for it to even work. Put the glory all over your kids. Put the glory on your marriage. Put the glory on your car. Put the glory on your home. Put the glory on your property. Release it when you shake a man's hand. Look into a person's eyes. Let God come out. He's in there. Give him a chance to be God. He has to work through you. That's where I was getting at with the whole box thing. God could actually come out of the box. Think about it. David got ticked off because Uzzah died and said, I'm mad at God. We're going to stick you. Because you know God's in the box. We're going to stick you over on this property over here. And he met a man by the name of Obed-Edom who was a scoundrel. Wasn't even a good man. He was not a church-going man. And Obed-Edom said, sure, you can put them back on that back 40 back there. I'm not using that property. Put them back there. Now, Obed-Edom did not go out there and worship God. He did not bring alms to God. He just left them on the property. But think of this. Even the respect to allow him to have property was enough for God. To seep out of the wood into the ground. And he got into the ground and the crops grew like crazy, bumper crops. And then the animals ate of the grass and then they gave offspring that was phenomenal. And then the people ate of the animals and then they became healthy and strong and also had great offspring until David heard that Obed-Edom's home and his plantation is just flourishing. And immediately David knew. And he sent 30,000 soldiers with him to get that box this time. And David danced before
2: the Lord
1: because of God in the box. Whew. Look at what God could do in the box. Now he's got to live in you and me.
2: Hmm.
1: Well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, God's like, okay, tie my hands up. Well, I don't know if I like that. Yeah, tie my feet up. God, why aren't you doing something? Cause you got me tied up. I mean, it's a wonder you haven't put a mm. And that's how God is inside, and He's wanting to, to, sh- to show us how amazing He is. And that's what religion does. It'll turn A creature made in God's image and likeness who has the ability to choose and create according to what what comes out of his very, very being. That's just like what God did. We've got the ability to, to choose things and therefore our path is set according to our choices and the manifestations that we have in our life, good or bad, have to do with our perspective. And it either limits God or it turns them loose. My cowboy friend, three weeks being saved. He figured it out. He's in a feed store. A woman comes in screaming, somebody help, somebody help, somebody help. The manager of the feed store was getting his feed, so he's in the back room. BJ's the only one there. So he said, ma'am, ma'am, well, calm down, calm down. What, what do you need? Oh, it's my cat. I slammed the door on my cat. It's not doing good. Can you come look at my cat? He said, okay, I'll come look at your cat. And he's a rancher, you know, He those animals. Well, where's the cat? It's in my trunk. Well, you didn't kill the cat. You smothered the cat, lady. So opens up the trunk, and there's the cat laying on its side with its tongue hanging out of its mouth. And he, in his good ranch, ranch, uh, you know, uh, lingo, says, Ma'am, that cat's as dead as a can of corned beef. (laughs) And she said, Well, I'm a Christian, and now somebody that's really, 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 really smart, I found this out. Everything always has to add up. Like you know, if you're two or three cents out of balance, but to someone like that, they're anal. It has to find the two or three cents. So when she said, "I'm a Christian, but you have a dead cat," something's wrong. We would just say, "It's a cat." I mean, wish that more of them were. <laughs> you know, because I'm a dog person. You know what I mean? I mean, it's a cat. They're so weird anyhow. See, that's what we do in religion. We swim in compromise until we make everything fit our narrative. It's like what's going on in the political world right now. Can we not see through all this that something's really awry and it really stinks to heaven? Brother, I think everything's just fine. Well, you're in the dark. Wake up. <laughs> Vaccines are supposed to allow you to not get the problem anymore where you don't have to wear a mask. Amen. But we've got to take booster after booster. And what they're not telling you about is the 50,000 people that are on 30 and 40 years old that are just <laughs> dropping dead. Two of them in the last month are friends of mine. something's wrong. Oh, that's as far as I'll go. BJ looks at the lady and says, so what? She says, well, I I prayed. Now it's worse. I have a relationship with God and I entreated him uh, for favor according to my cat and it's still dead. Something's wrong because BJ figured it out right away. Can't be anything wrong with God. And he's the one that made the cat, so he probably likes it. That's a little problem there. But anyhow, he probably likes it. (laughs) So he said, well, did you pray? And she got all mischievous and said, well, I prayed that God had mercy on my cat. He goes, mercy, your cat's dead. It needs life. (laughs) She said, I don't know anything about that. He said, yeah, I know. (laughs) And then he looked at her and said, no, I can't pray for that cat. She said, why not? He said, that's the ugliest cat I've ever seen. (laughs) He said, but I can pray for you. So he put his hand on her shoulder. It's his first prayer. And this is what he prayed. Three weeks being saved. See, he figured it out. It's the best prayer I've ever heard. He said, God, please, please, open her eyes just enough so she can believe just a little. Oh, I'm working on great faith. Just need a little. A little will remove a sycamore tree or a mountain cast into the sea. It's just a speck. Because what's the big part? It's God, and that never changes. Yeah. If you can just get even one foot out of the way, God will have liberty. If you get both foot out of the way, wow, watch out. Open her eyes just enough so she can believe just a little, and then you can be God, was his prayer. Because he knew if he could get her out of the way, God would do what he always does. And that touched her heart. She cried out, Oh, God, I do believe. Meow. The cat sat up. She looked at him. She said, That's a miracle. And he said, No, ma'am, that's not a miracle. Oh, yes, it is. That's a miracle. He said, No, ma'am, that's not a miracle. And she said, Well, if it's not, then what is a miracle? And he said, Well, the miracle is that you, be, you being a Christian all these years, you finally today believed God. Well, three days later, she called him up, hysterical. You're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it. Calm down, calm down. What happened? She said, I took my cat to the vet, and my cat scanned the vet. It was a cat scan. (laughs) Didn't you like that any better than that? (laughs) She says, people don't like my jokes. (laughs) And the doctor said, I don't know what happened here, but the head of this cat was crushed, and it's put back together, and I can't explain that. Yeah. He scanned the rest of the cat, and big old saucer tears dropped out of his, off his cheeks. And she said, Doc, what's wrong? He said, I spayed this cat. All the female organs are back in. Your cat can have kittens. And BJ said, no, 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 no. I'll give you the money to get it spayed again. We don't need any more ugly cats in Tulsa. Do you see what held us in the Old Covenant? The law. What happens when you have a relationship with God? Grace. Come on, stay with me for just a couple more moments we'll be done, okay? I'm looking at my clock and it says we need to be done, but I don't always pay attention to that. <laughs> It says, we have escaped by death from that which held us prisoners, and hence we are indeed enthralled still. The word enthralled means spellbound. The word spellbound means having your attention fixated as though by a spell. Fascinated, hypnotized, mesmerized, transfixed, enchanted. So what was enchanting us, causing us to be transfixed, hypnotized? The law. If you wake up on any day thinking I'm going to do better today and I'm going to work hard not to do bad, you are in the law. Today's going to be a better day. Why? Because I'm going to work. You're in the law. Today's going to be an amazing day. Why? Because I'm hanging out with Jesus. That's grace. Grace lets you touch the mountain. The law has you working with the idea that you'll never touch the mountain. Notice what it says. I touched this and it made it huge. It says, We are still enthralled, but under the new conditions, listen, to the obedience of the Spirit's promptings, not under the old conditions of obedience to hard, fast, written regulations. Do you see the change? One thing mesmerized me into trying so hard every single day to live under the bondage of the law, and I live under guilt, and I live live under the pressure of condemnation. Why? Because when I do bad, I feel bad about myself, and I'm kicking myself in the rear trying to do better. This new covenant is all about hanging out with Jesus and listening to the Holy Ghost tell you to do things. Like, hey, let's hang out over here. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's have some fun with this. Let's have some fun with that. And now these are the what? The Spirit's promptings that have freedom to actually experience God. It's two different complete systems, and it's telling us that right here. Connie Bear translation says this But now that we have died with Christ, the law wherein we were formerly held fast has lost its hold, so that we are no longer under the bondage of the the letter, but under the new service of the Spirit. Pitcher translation said, We've been released from the law, so that we are free to serve God in the new spontaneous way of the Spirit. What do you mean? Spontaneous. The Holy Ghost is spontaneous. I mean, all of a sudden you're doing something here and all of a sudden he goes, hey, let's turn right here. Well, Why am I turning right here? Or he'll say, hey, what do, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? The Holy Ghost is spontaneous. It's awesome to work with the Spirit of God. You have all kinds of knowings in your heart. We can talk about that a little bit, hopefully, in this next session. What does it mean the Spirit of God is spontaneous? I mean, how, how do you have any type of knowledge of the Holy Ghost? We'll talk about that in a few minutes. So listen to this. This is really good. I put all of these together, and this is what it comes out to be. You are discharged. The law has no hold on you. You have terminated all intercourse with it. You have been fully released from it. The law's claim on us is annulled. You have died to it. You are a free man. You died to what once restrained and held you captive. You are dead to what once controlled you. You died to what once held you in bondage. We have escaped from death from that which held us prisoners. So now we serve under the obedience to the promptings of the Spirit in newness of life. Your obedience comes welling up from the depths of your nature, inexhaustible, better and better all the time and fresh every time as though you have just thought of it, so that now we may serve God by living in the freshness of the new life in the power of this Holy Spirit. We are free to serve God in the new spontaneous way of the Spirit, no longer cribbed and confined by the antiquated shackles of the external law. We are indeed enthralled and spellbound still, but it's under the new conditions of obedience to the Spirit's promptings. That is the difference between the Pentateuch and Pentecost. The old law was written in a book. The Spirit is a breath. This is what's called what's next, Papa. Papa. Now, do you all remember if you went to church school, the Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not onto your own understanding, acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will direct your paths. Listen to what the Message Bible says. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do and everywhere you go. He's the one that will keep you on track. That's what's next, Papa. That's listening to the Spirit's promptings. That's the freedom from the law so you can enjoy the presence of God. Not under the bondage of guilt because I didn't do enough or I've missed it again, but under the freedom to know that grace has already forgiven you from all your sins so that you can experience Him. You're not free from sin so that you can sin. You're free from sin, so you get to spend time with God. And it's the time with God where He becomes your focus where you start to lose the desire for the thing that even caused you to sin. It's not about not sinning, it's about not even having the desire to sin. Everyone in this room has strengths in your life. And if somebody said, well, you know, I, I stole something the other day, you'd think, man, I, I don't even that's not even register with me. I don't even think about stealing. Because see, that's a strength for you. So you don't even think about it. But there's other things you fall prey to. Maybe the depression that you have. And you're always fighting, feeling so bad about yourself and being depressed. And someone else is like happy go lucky. Go, man, I never get depressed. I don't ever think about that. I mean it's not even a part of. See, we all have areas where we're strong. Isn't it wonderful when you hang out with God, he begins to strengthen every weakness? Didn't Paul find that out when he was bellyaching about all the, te- all the things that were happening to him, being in the deep three times, being killed three times, being stoned here, being in, in, in you know, the, the trials and tribulations of the countrymen and, and of all the Pharisees? And he's saying, God, deliver me from this. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness, I'll make you strong. Paul, just like that, turned the whole situation around and saw it. He goes, I'd rather glorify God in my weakness that the power of Christ would come upon me and make me strong. See, he saw it. That's what hanging out with Jesus does. Grace will lift up your weakness and make it a strength. And it's not about not sinning. It's like, I don't even want to. So it doesn't register with me any longer. You guys seeing that there's freedom in this? Are you seeing what next, what's next Papa really means? Now you're, you're probably wanting to ask me the question, well, how do we implement this? That's what we're going to share with you in the next session. But we've got to be done in 35 minutes. So is anybody okay with just going? One of the scriptures here that I love, oh, thanks, I was going to actually go anyhow, but. but I appreciate you guys being with me, you know, it does make me feel a little better. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 10 and 11, and of course you can sneak out and use rest and whatever you need to do. I-, I love this, in the Message Bible it says, okay, Gag, when Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way, I love this. Sin speaks a dead language and means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. See, when we talk about God speaking to you, the promptings of the Spirit, the first thing that's going to happen to most Christians is, I I don't know the voice of God. And the first thing I want to share to you is, yes, you do. You've just been on the wrong station for too long. Or you've been listening to static because you haven't fine-tuned it in how do i fine-tune god in (laughs) well everything is with your faith so if jesus said my sheep know me my sheep hear me my sheep follow me he's actually saying something that's very absolute he didn't say my sheep someday will know me They're going to know me. They might know me. Most of them won't, but a couple will. No, he said, my sheep know me. They hear me, and they follow me. He said it very emphatically. So what is he doing? He's giving you a rope to hold on to. What is that rope? I know him. I hear him. I see him. I recognize him. And I follow him. And the voice of a stranger, I do not follow. And you say, well, I'm doing pretty good following that voice of a stranger. But Jesus said you don't. He's given you a rope to stop following the voice of a stranger. And he's given you a rope to know him, hear him, and follow him. You've got to take that and say, thank God that's me. He's talking about me. He's talking about me. Now your head's going to go, you know he's not talking about you. (laughs) Because it's going to remind you of all the reasons why you don't hear him. But remember, you're not a head. You are a spirit. You are a spirit that possesses a soul, will, emotion, and intellect. And then you live in a body. So it doesn't matter what your body says. It doesn't matter what your mind says. Unless they both agree with your spirit. Healing would be very easy if it weren't for the body. Think of that. What do you mean? Your spirit man's perfect, completely healed. Perfect in every way. But then you got this body that's trying to tell you there's a pain over here and the doctor said it's cancer. I can't use a urinal like I used to. It takes me 20 minutes. So there must be some enlargement there. And of course, your mind goes, That's right, you took 20 minutes. Well, how can I say that I'm healed until I'm healed? We, we're not living out of this world, we're just living in this world. I'm in this world, but I'm living out of heaven. So my allegiance is to my Savior. And if He said, I'm healed, then I need to take that thought and that reality that is in that world, embrace it so that it actually shows up in this world. Well, how's it going to do that? Because you touch two worlds at the same time, folks. Your physical body is touching this earthly world, but your spirit man is touching the heavenly world. And when you embrace something out of your heart, then it's going to change your body. How do you know? (laughs) Come on, think about this. Jesus' body was mutilated. The scriptures say he didn't even look human once sin got a hold of him. Remember in the Mount Transfiguration, it says his face was altered. It means beautified. We all look better in the glory. Right? Well, then what would you look like if you not only had one sin, but the whole entire world's sin? You would literally become deformed as though you were not even human. It wasn't just that chunks of flesh were hanging all over him. It was a bloody mess. Sin was all over him. But the moment life came into him in hell, and he came alive as the son of God, and he went up and got into his body, the moment he got into his body, <laughs> all that light and that glory, snap your finger, every laceration was completely healed. There was no blood. He didn't look scary. Come on, think think if he looked like Freddy Krueger and he's walking in the garden. And and Mary saw him and goes, ah! She didn't say ah, she thought he was a gardener. Why? Because he had perfect form, perfect face. What did that? It's the glory that came inside. Come on, think about this. Does not a Reese's peanut butter cup in a wrapper make the wrapper smell like a Reese's peanut butter cup? Have you ever smelled it and it smelled like an almond joy and yet you have a Reese's peanut butter cup in there? No! Because the candy bar always influences the wrapper. And when God comes to live in your candy bar, which is your spirit, it'll get off on your wrapper. I'm in Ocala, Florida. There's a lady there in a wheelchair, a dear old lady. And I looked at her and I said, well, Mama, I said, now get up and walk out of that chair. Jesus heals you. And she looked right back and she said, well, I can't do that. And I walked a little closer and I said, but I said you can't. And she leaned toward me. She said, but I said I can't. I said, I said you can, and she leaned, she said, but I said I can't, three times, and now I'm ticked, because she's ruining my healing line, <laughs> so I stepped back, and I said, where's Jesus in all this, and she said, Sonny, that's a really good question, I said, well, I know the problem, you're not even born again, I said, now give me your hands, you're going to accept Christ, she couldn't leave. I had a captive audience. <laughs> Give me your hands, I said. She put her hand, I say this after me, and if you believe it in your heart. It's a simple little prayer. Jesus, I believe you to be the Son of God. You died for me. You rose again for me. I receive this work that you did for me as my Lord and my Savior. I said, do you believe it? She said, yes, I do. I stood back, and I said, now, Mama, get up. She jumped out of that chair. She started twirling all over the place. The crowd went absolutely nuts. Why? Because the moment Jesus jumped inside of her, Her spirit, he got in her body too. Wow, wow. This is awesome, isn't it? Good. What's inside your body right now? God, if you're saved. God is inside of your body. Is God darkness or is he light? He's light. What will he do to the darkness? He dispels all darkness. Why? Darkness is not powerful. Look it up in Webster's translation. It'll say darkness is due to a want of light. In other words, darkness is absence of light. Darkness isn't power that moves light away. It's light that expels the darkness. What's inside of you? Light right now. What's inside of your bones? Light right now. What's inside of your muscles? Light. Glory. What's inside of your vital organs? Healing and health. Please, God, open her eyes just enough so she can believe just a little and then you can be God. Yeah, that's awesome, isn't it? Come on, just a few more moments here. This is really, really good. Let me go down here and just show you something. All right, real quickly, Romans chapter 1. We're going to start this transition here of you being able to put two and two together for this to become real in your life. Romans chapter 1. And it says in verse 18, the Passion Translation For God in heaven unveils his holy anger, breaking forth against every form of sin, both toward ungodliness that lives in hearts and evil actions. For the wickedness of humanity deliberately smothers the truth and keeps people from acknowledging the truth about God. Did you hear that? The wickedness of humanity deliberately smothers the truth. Truth means reality. The wickedness of man will smother heaven's reality to present a false narrative and false reality and keeps people from acknowledging reality from God. So what do we need to be doing? We need to have our eyes open to what's really real and then acknowledge what is of God that begins to cause what? The relationship to take off and grow because the wickedness of humanity wants to smother this. And the saddest thing about it is most churches smother this. Do they do it intentionally? Of course not. But they preach the law, which nullifies the grace of God. It does what? It cancels out God's grace. If you were saved by grace, don't you think you need that stuff to live by? Don't you think you need that influence, that ability, that favor to be able to continue to live out your Christian walk? Or is the whole goal just knowing that I'm saved because I'm going to go to heaven someday? No, God didn't get us saved so we could all just go to heaven. God saved us so that we would be a people who would have a relationship and a connection to Him, both here and there. Hmm. It goes on to say, in reality, the truth of God is known instinctively. Come on, use your head right here. Think with me. Instinctively. Where? That's the, that's the piano player that learned by ear. Something on the inside is a spark is in every human. And if we divert your attention from the spark within, you can get messed up out here for days. We want to keep you aware of what's in your heart. He's embedded this knowledge inside of every human heart. Opposition to truth cannot be excused on the basis of ignorance. Well, I just didn't know that about God. Sorry, there's no excuse. Why? Why would you say that? Because from the creation of the world, the invisible qualities of God's nature have been made visible, such as his external power and transcendence. He has made his wonderful attributes Easily perceived, for seeing the visible makes us understand the invisible. So then this leaves everyone without excuse. What is he saying? All you got to do is just look at all that God has made. Now this, we got another a telescope that cost how many billions or something? You know, multiple billions that took pictures well beyond where we've been able to see with the Hubble. Isn't that right? It was a Hubble telegra- uh, uh, telescope. Now we can see way beyond. And we're seeing more of what is just absolutely mind boggling. And God holds it all in the palm of his hand. And you look at that and you say, wow, did that just somehow just go, I dream a genie and she blinked it? Or bewitched and she wriggled her nose and made it come to pass? Was it just a big bang? And if it was a bang, was there somebody that made it go bang? Just looking at what God has done. You couldn't find your keys this morning and you were almost going to be late. But you can go to a park and look at a squirrel. He can find all the nuts he buried from years ago. <laughs> you're, still, you're still using your GPS for Spokane, Washington. That ain't even that big. <laughs> and you can look at the geese. They fly, they fly north and they fly south. How do they know to do that? How can a hummingbird come back to the very same place after he flies long, long distances, thousands of miles, and then come right back to the same place? Come right back to the same feeder. How do they do that? God's oh, pretty amazing, isn't he? I said, God's pretty amazing. You can find God in everything he made because he actually is in everything that he made. Let me ask you a question. Anybody here ever go to Times Square, New York City? A few of you have, but some of you that haven't, have you ever watched a ball drop? You know, when it was uh, Dick Clark years ago and then Ryan Seacrest right now, you watched a ball drop and you can see how lit up that city is. Do you think if you were in that city at nighttime with all those lights and it was a beautiful, clear evening that you could look up and see the stars? Do you think you could see them? How come? What would obscure your ability to see the stars? The lights of the city. Who made those lights? Did God make those lights or did man make those lights? Ah, man did. What about if you went 30 miles uh, west? One time I said 30 miles east. That would be the ocean. But anyhow, <laughs> 30 miles west, up, upstate New York into the hills. What if you looked up into the stars without all the lights around you? And it was very dark. Could you see them everywhere? And the answer is everywhere. Who made those stars? God did. Now you understand something. The closer you're attached to society and buy into the world of men, the less tangibility you will understand of God. But if you'll retreat into God's world, you'll find him everywhere. And if you can find him anywhere, you can find him everywhere. If you can experience once, you can experience him all the time. The devil does not want you to have an open revelation of this reality. He wants to keep you bound to the tangible. I'm hurting. I'm hurting. Well, God is your healer. Yeah, but I'm hurting. Well, get your head out of the way for 10. I'm hurting. I understand that you're you're hurting, but as long as you continue to take that stance, you cannot be receptive to the anointing. This man came to me and he said, okay, I I need a question answered. I still got ringing in my ear, but my shoulders healed and my hips healed. How come? And I said, probably because when you came here, you weren't even thinking about your hip or your shoulder. He said, actually, I wasn't. I was just thinking about my ear. I said, well, there's your answer. (laughs) I said, you weren't in the way concerning your hip or your shoulder because you weren't even thinking about it, but you're so in the way with your ear. Well, I've got to be able to hear. The hip and the shoulder were okay. I said, well, when you can devalue the problem that's in your ear like you did to your hip and your shoulder. He goes, oh, my God. I said, what happened? He said, the ringing just stopped. What did we help him to do momentarily? Get him out of the way just for a moment, and God touched his ear. But as long as he made a mountain out of nothing. See, Jesus believes he actually took all sickness and bore your infirmity. Yeah, but I got a cancer in my body. Yeah, well, let Jesus turn around and show you the stripes on his back, and it's got your name on it with your cancer right on that back. And then you tell me who's lying about it. He believes he did a good job. The father believes he baked Jesus long enough. He doesn't need to send him back into hell. He doesn't need to send him back into the grave. He did a perfect job. What he's wanting to get us to do is change your perspective until you can see it too. Now look at what we just found out. That the very lowest level of a person connecting with God, and you don't even have to be saved It works for people saved and not saved is how you can find him in nature, in the beauty of that which is around you. You can find God. What does that mean? Okay, real quickly, we got time, just enough time. Matthew chapter six, turn there real quickly. This is so good, amen. I get excited about this. I will share something with you, and that is that... at the beginning of this year, and I am not at a, a beginning of the year a prophetic, a prophetic word person. I don't have to give one. I don't have to hear somebody. Why? Because I'm actually walking with him on a day-to-day basis. Like, I don't need somebody to tell me that you are married every year. Thus I proclaim, Jim and Aaron are married. A uh, Duh! Like, I don't need that. Did that bless you? Well. Oh. Not really. I mean, we've been married for 31 years, and we pretty well know we're married. You don't have to tell us that, right? So I don't need somebody to have to give us a word. We were at this prophetic conference in the afternoon. They were giving out personal testimonies, and one of the ladies came. She said, "Oh, they're giving out testimonies. You're going to—I mean, uh, they're giving out words, prophetic words, prophecies. So you're going to want to go in there." I said, "Well, we're okay." She said, "What do you mean you're okay?" I said, "Well, we don't—you we don't need a prophecy. You don't want a prophecy." I said, well, we, we, like, live with Him. I right. think <laughs> like He talks to us on a regular basis. I, Why do I need somebody else to tell me what I already know? <laughs> I don't mind someone giving me a word. But at the same time, you know, I mean, I, I, get, I get a word every day. <laughs> and if somebody comes to me and says, I believe what the Lord is saying to me about you, then I'm going to stop you. Say, time out. Don't give me that. Say, What? Don't give me that? No, if you only believe what the Lord is saying about you and you don't know what the Lord is saying about me, then don't tell me what you think. (laughs) Tell me what you know. And if you don't know it, then be quiet. (laughs) I'm going to count how many people that are here and see if you're here tomorrow morning. (laughs) Come on, Matthew chapter 6. Let's go here real quick so we can finish this. I love this. It's a message Bible. You say, do a lot in the message Bible. Someone chastised me for that. The message Bible is not the Bible. It's the King James Version. I said, did you even hear yourself? They're like, what? It's the King James's version. <laughs> He's got a version. <laughs> that didn't go over real well. But listen, what you don't know that's true history. Constantine, when he got everybody to come into what he quoted as his church, turned the tables and made it all about this orthodoxy stuff. It became more of a theology place or doctrinal place than it was a place to find God. And they redefined the roles the moment the people came in because the people were used to finding God themselves and having words from the Lord and experiencing the Lord and sharing among each other. Let everyone have a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song, making melody to the Lord. See, that they didn't want that. They wanted it controlled by just those that were the, the, the controllers, you know, the ones that were designated. And so this is what they said. The roles now are, everything comes from the platform, from those behind the lector or whatever, you know, everybody, everything comes here. And the people now, your sole responsibility is to say, amen. really that was what they said your sole responsibility is to say amen come on everybody say amen Amen. see we're still doing it (laughs) do you get what they did they took god away from us where we had to depend on somebody else it's a good business Keep them coming, keep them paying. Residuals are nice. Oh, John, you're here today. So wonderful that you're here. But at the same time, does the one saying that know that John's going through the crisis of his life and he doesn't care because he certainly doesn't get with him to help him? It's a good business. I know it's getting quiet in here, but this is what they brought to us. And we've just sucked it up and believed it for century after century, and we changed a little bit here, changed a little bit there, and we think we're a New Testament church. And the reality is, New Testament church was all about each individual experiencing God for themselves. What's next, Papa? Like if you were doing What's Next, Papa all day long, wouldn't you have testimonies? Yeah. Yeah. All right, real quickly, I got time for this. How many have been saved for over 50 years? Wow, you got a lot of people that have saved a long time. How many have been saved 55 years or more? How about 56? <laughs> How about 57? You guys been saved for 57? 57, brother? 57? 60 years? Awesome. Don't 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 tell. Because the higher it goes, the worse it is. (laughs) I'm serious, serious. Okay, so I've been saved 57. Okay, so you can put your hands down now. And I only did that because I'm going to be the goat here, okay? And that's not the greatest athlete of all times, all right? Or whatever it is, greatest of all time. So I'm going to be the goat, 57 years. Now, I've been married for 31. In 31 years of marriage... I have story after 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 story I could even go to just a little bit of time we've been together even today and go story after story after story after story because every bit of interaction that we have with each other is another story. Things that we said to each other, things that we did with each other, what was taking place around us, what we experienced together. It's all testimony, right? And I could stand here until the sun comes up in the morning for weeks and tell you stories about Aaron and I. Because there's tangibility, time, which produces shared experiences. Notice, that's what constitutes a connection with anyone. Tangibility, time, and shared experiences. If I have no time with her, there's no tangibility, there's no nothing. But if I have time and it's tangible, well, what do you mean? Well, I've been married for 31 years. Where do you live? Tokyo. Where does she live? Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh, so you sleep in different beds? Yep, but we're married. See, time, tangibility, it's important. Time and tangibility produces shared experiences. 31 years, tons of them. Now I'm going to ask myself the question, and it's not a good answer. Do I have as many or even close to 57 years with God, with Jesus? Could I stand here day after day after day and not exhaust them all? Or would I exhaust them after one day and have to revert to Scripture to try to cover my rear. See, I'd rather that be about me because I, I don't have near the testimonies I have with my wife, and yet I've been saved much, much longer. My brother, I didn't know it was about testimony. And what's a relationship? That goes back to what's Christianity, just showing up at church 1030 in the morning, feeling real good that I made it, I'm not trying to get in your kitchen, even though I am a little bit. I'm trying to open up for you the idea that we can experience Him all the time. And the number one area where you can experience Him is how you relate to the world that's around you, nature. And we're really held accountable to that. No one has an excuse. Why? Because you can just see a sunset, the mountains. You can go outside and watch a tree bloom, a flower, smell it. And it reminds you of God. He's amazing. This earth is cursed and it's still so beautiful. I'm going to read through this very quickly because I got just enough time for it, but listen to the way he says this. Has anyone, or I'll go back up to, don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moss, and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth. Rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being. That's a very tough verse. You can't worship two gods at one time. Loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. If you decide for living for God, a life of worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. Now let me share this with you, my, my, my cowboy friend, he went home to be with the Lord last year, but this is the reason why he went so far and so fast. There was nothing special about him, but when, he's, when you're smart like that, you see this. He said, if you want the secret to a relationship with God, you can never find the world that you don't know until you turn your back on the one that you do know. <sighs> That's so good. That's Jesus telling his disciples, yeah, you didn't cast out this devil because this comes out by prayer and fasting. What is prayer and fasting? Well, fasting is turning your back on the world. Prayer is turning your face toward God. If you live in that, that doesn't mean you can't eat. It just means the world doesn't have the value or the importance of your heart. God has the importance. And if you live like that, guess what? It's like turning the volume up on the voice of God, turning the volume down on the voice of the world. And all of a sudden, what you've been hearing all along, but not knowing it was Him, becomes very distinctful. Because if you're not feeling Him, it doesn't mean you're not feeling just poke the person next to you. You're feeling something. You've just got used to feeling the wrong thing. If you're not hearing him, it doesn't mean he's not speaking. Come on, have you ever been watching a ball game and the wife speaks to you from, from the kitchen? And it sounds like Charlie Brown's wah 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 wah. wah. <laughs> Why? Because you're focused on what you're hearing. And she said, Did you hear me? And it's like, well, not no, no. I heard noise. And so now, you know, I'm trying better to be better and better at that, where one ear, I can give her one ear. I'm watching something, and I hear a noise back there, and that one ear goes, did you say something, hon? And there's times she'll say, no, I didn't say anything to you. I don't know, okay. But there's other times, did you say something? Yes. And I'm so glad that I at least gave her one ear where I'm paying attention to a sound that's important. Because after having a conversation, like, you know, you'd never listen to me. You know, you feel like you're in the doghouse, so you don't want to have that conversation again because you do want to respect her. So then you're trying to, you do hear her, it's just you're not paying attention to her. Oh, really, guys? <laughs> you look like I've, I don't know a world of what you're talking about. Like, Pastor Corey's like, it's so weird. I don't know what he's saying. (laughs) (laughs) She is not helping you. Let me tell you that right now. Come on, real quickly. I'll finish this right in time. It says, there is far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more than the outer appearance and the clothes you hang on your body. And then guess what he tells you to do something? He tells you, I'll show you how this works. Something you've seen, you just not put it together. In other words, you're not paying attention to me. Because the next thing he says is, look at the birds. What? Is this about bird watching? No it's not about bird watching. It's about paying attention to the fact that there are God's signs and experiences every single day in the hundreds and thousands that we're missing, and we think it's just happenstance, or you had a lucky day, or it was a little bit better, not giving God the credit for His grace working in your life. And if you don't acknowledge Him, then you won't draw together in the awareness of Him in a greater degree. Every acknowledgement to God, God, that was you, thank you so much for helping me in that brings you together to another experience listen God is not the God who created hide and go seek if he is there's places beyond where this telescope is showing us where God could hide and you'll never find him is it God's prerogative for you to never find him no God created show and tell and he's the first one that shows up so that you can say wow that's amazing and if you like it then he's going to show you more that's what happened with Nathaniel Jesus says, "Well, there's an Israelite in whom's no guile." And he says, "Well, how do you know me?" And he says, "Well, I saw you while you were under the fig tree." And Nathaniel knew there was no one there, yeah. so immediately his eyes are beating. He says, "My Lord and my God." And the moment he acknowledged Jesus. Jesus said, that's right, boy, don't you forget it. And he puffed up his chest. No, he said, do you like that? And it's like, yes. Would you like to see more? Of course, he said, if you'll hang out with me, you'll see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. In other words, one acknowledgement drew God into showing him more so he could acknowledge him again and show him more knowledge of him again until God became so real in that person's life that you could feel him, taste him, touch him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Oh, this is so good. I got a little story to tell you in just a moment. So all of a sudden, birds. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description. Careless in the care of God. Listen to what he says. And you count far more to him than birds. He's trying to help you to see you can connect with God by looking at the things that are around you. And if you can connect with him on any help, come on, help me with this. We're almost done. On any level, if you can connect with him, you can connect with him on every level. Has anyone by fussing in front of a mirror even gotten taller by so much of an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think that it makes much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. So now you're f- looking at flowers. OK, flowers and birds, really is this. What it's about? <laughs> Listen, It's about you acknowledging him anywhere. It's about you actually paying attention to something and relating it to God's actually in your life because the more you begin to yield to that acknowledgement, the more real he becomes. Are you producing him to make him real? No, he's already real. It's just you're not aware. So the more you give what? Focus and attention to him, the more aware the person that's there becomes. Remember Gideon? angel of the Lord which is Jesus was standing right in front of him and he thought he was another guy and argued with him that God really doesn't like him he's forsaken us where's all his miracles and then Jesus said to him go in this might of yours and you should defeat the Midianites as one man and all of a sudden his eyes were open It's like
2: because
1: uh, 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 he's talking with God the servant to Elisha came back in and said oh my God we're in trouble ah, there's an army out there against us and Elisha said, Don't fear. It's all right. Those that are with us are more than those that are with them. I didn't know there was a those. It was just, you know, the servant just thought it was Elisha and him and then a whole army. No, there were demons with them and there were angels with us. And then he said, Lord, open his eyes. I thought they were open. That's why he came in full of fear. Open them to the what? other world. And the moment he opened to the other world, he stepped outside and saw horses and chariots of fire with angels surrounding all of those that were from the other camp. And all of a sudden, them didn't mean anything when those that are with you are greater than those that are with them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of them are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to get you to do here is to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you both know God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative and God provisions. Don't worry about what's missing. You'll find out that all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about tomorrow what may, or what may or may not happen. God will help you to deal with whatever things are needful. Listen to this last story. We're at this prophetic meeting in April, May. And we're starting this healing center. And you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a person. I honk my horn. My horn usually says to people, go back to bed and start all over again. You're doing a really bad job. <laughs> and that's because I'm a New Yorker, you know, and I have to, I'm doing better on that. I'm doing better on that. But uh, she says, but anyhow, I'm doing better. Now, instead of telling people to get off the road, I'll say, well, let's just make a little better decision. How about a little better decision? Oh, that's it right there. That's good for you. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so anyhow, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm doing better. But I'm really hard on myself, and that's a bad thing. Because if I'm hard on myself and don't like myself, then I can't progress. You can't look at somebody else's relationship and then look at your own and say, boy, I got a really you know, horrible one, they have a really good one, and then yours get better. Because you've just devalued what God's doing in your life. You have to actually accept what he's doing in your life even at a level that you don't think it's where it should be and be really happy because the moment you do god will begin to empower you to do more the moment you sit down on what you think he's doing the more you disavow the the grace of god to help you does that make sense you got to hear that Uh, but i've even done that to myself and so this guy comes and he prophesies over us he's from from um uh South America, and he puts his arms around, Aaron, he puts his arms around me, and he begins to prophesy, and he starts speaking about so many different things in our life. You know, people have come against you, but you stayed the course. I'm pleased with you. This is happening, but I'm pleased with you. You've, to, you've, you've stepped out to do what I've called to do, and I'm pleased with you. You're in the right place at the right time, and I'm pleased. And everything came with, it. I'm pleased with you after he said it. And the more he's saying it, the more I realize God's trying to say something, but the more I'm kind of mad, because I'm not pleased with me. I'd like to be further along. So I went back to the room, didn't say anything to Aaron, and all I said was, you're pleased with me? How can you be pleased with me when I'm not pleased with myself? I said, so if you really are, show me. The next night we sat down, praise and worship. A half an hour of praise and worship, and I'm smelling the roses of Sharon, like my face was in a vase. A half an hour of the preaching. So for a full hour, I am encompassed in the rose of Sharon. And I knew what it meant from the very first second I smelled it to the last hour of that smell. And it almost made me mad because God was showing me. And I didn't want him to show me like that because I still wanted to be mad at me. Travel with Brother Hagin. Long story short, I'm there right next to him and we're walking to the people, 10,000 people in the big camp meeting and he stopped and says, y'all smell that? And I'm smelling these roses like crazy. He said, that's the fragrance of heaven. And then this is what he said, that fragrance means God is pleased with you. I knew that. I didn't want it to be pleased with me because I wasn't pleased with myself said it five times if he said it six in that prophetic word. And then I said, show me. And for an hour, I knew what I'm smelling is he's pleased. He's pleased. He's pleased. And I didn't want to have to say it. (sighs) All right. I'm pleased with me. If you're pleased with me, I'm pleased with me. It's okay. I'll be pleased with me. I don't want to be, but I'll be pleased with me. Because I knew what he was trying to do. Until you are, Jimmy, I can't take you further.
0: Thank you for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, we want to chat with you and help you in your walk with God. We invite you to connect with us at wcspokane.com connect and someone from our team will be in touch with you. You can also hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any new content in the future. Thanks again for joining us and remember, Jesus is coming soon.